Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Timberlake. You might hear that a lot. We're just really friendly, okay? So we say welcome a lot. Just get used to it. We're glad you're here. I had somebody a few weeks ago say, hey, we're new to the church. One of the things we're having to get used to is like somebody saying hi in the parking lot. They're saying hi at the door. I'm like, listen, we just love people. So we're going to say hi all the time. Get used to it. That's just who we are. We're glad that you're here. It was good to meet a few families who are new for the first time. And we just want to welcome you. Maybe you're new online watching. We want you to know we're glad that you are with us. And one of the things I've been noticing over the last month here at Timberlake is that, um, that we have families who are starting off. And they're kind of like secret shoppers. So they go online first and just see who we are. And they watch a few services and they come to the campus. So if you're online, you're doing that. Come on and join us. We are a little bit weird, but we're not too bad, all right? So we're good. So we're glad that you're with us. My name is Carlos Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're jumping into a series or finishing out a series um, that, that's really important to us out of the book of Haggai. And uh, it's called The Time Is Now. What we want to do is to address um, the pressure of time and not from what we normally deal with in our jobs, our, our, our families, raising kids, uh, all the things that we do. But more from the perspective of God, what would it look like if God said, I want something to happen now? If the pressure was coming from God, that, that God is saying, I need you to do something. And so that's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. And, and week one, we talked about a time to reconsider. And so what's happening here in Haggai, is a little bit of history as we dive in, is in Haggai, these people, God's people, are, are God's talking to them like sons and daughters. And there's a lot of what we've talked about in the last few weeks is being a son, being a daughter, that we come before God. We don't come with our accolades. We don't come with our titles. We don't come as a mom or a dad or a CEO or an executive, an engineer. We come as a son. We come as a daughter. And what happens here is that God is using the prophet Haggai to address some issues he's seen in his people because they're coming out of slavery. They're going back to Jerusalem, the home, the home city, but it's war-torn and it's broken apart, and they haven't rebuilt the temple, the place where God's presence is. And he wants them to reconsider. It's a week when we talked about that. What do we have to reconsider? Time to reconsider. And God is speaking about the challenges of our thinking and our decision-making. A week two, we talked about time for action. Time for action. And Pastor Ben, our lead pastor, led us through taking something from an idea or a thought and actually putting legs to it. Actually doing something with some of the ideas and thoughts that we have. And then th this week we're going to talk about, it's right here in your notes, time for God to move. So go ahead and take out your notes. Uh, we left some blank space in the notes because we want you to fill in some things. We want you to write some notes. Especially we want you in this season to, to take notes, take it home, think about what's happening. Because not everything we're going to share is always in the notes. So go ahead, go ahead and take that out as we follow along talking about time for God to move. And the, it begs the question, and write this down in your notes, what is God's role in all of this? I mean, if God is talking to his sons and daughters to, to realign, he's talking to them about doing something, taking action, what is God's role in all of this? 
And it reminds me of my son, who's now 17, but he was six. We were at the dinner table one night, and we have a lot of discourse. We talk about all sorts of things, and we talk about issues and things of God, and talk about the Bible. And one day he was so excited, but you could tell he was, he was being inquisitive. He said, okay, God, uh, Dad, I, I know what Jesus did. And Jesus came, and he died on a cross, and he was raised from the dead, all for us to have. And he went to this whole thing about Jesus. And I'm like, gosh. My son's listening at home and at kids' church. This is awesome. And then he said, and I know what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is here to comfort and guide us and empowers us for living as a Christian. I'm like, wow, I'm raising a little theologian here. And then he goes, but, but, but God, what the heck does God do? I'm like, what do you mean, what does God? Yeah, I don't understand. It seems like Jesus and the Holy Spirit do all the work. What does God do? And I wonder how many of us actually have that question. If I'm the one having to realign, if I'm the one having to make changes, if I'm the one who has to work and do all these things, what is God's role in all of this? And this is what we find in Haggai. And before we jump into that, I want to talk about a few misconceptions that we have about God's involvement. Because the language we're talking about is God as a father. God's a good father, gives good gifts. And some of us miss the mark with that language because of our personal upbringing because of our family of origin. After every service, I'm having conversations with people saying, gosh, I understand it, but man, I had this obstacle of my dad issue or my mom issue and these things. And so it's hard to really wrap my mind around God as a true God, as a father, but you have to understand God as father to truly get context of who God is. So what are some of our misconceptions? Number one, and write this in your notes, it's right there, that God is absent. God is absent. In a natural sense, it would be like the emotionally unavailable parent. The emotionally unavailable parent. As a you know, former youth pastor for 15 years, I always was doing research. Uh, I love sociology, doing research about the effects of families of origin, how people are raised and what's going on. Being raised by two parents who were raised in single-parent homes. Both of my parents raised by single moms. One, my, my, my mom uh, was raised uh, by a single mom because her dad passed away when she was younger. And my dad, here's just a little bit different. It's like a book in, unto itself. My dad actually wrote a book. It's going to come out uh, later this year. Because my dad was born to a single mom uh, because she chose to be single. Uh, she had a one-night stand. My dad was born out of that relationship. And uh, she came to find out that my grandfather, I love my grandfather. Passed away a few years ago. Love the man. I mean, short little Irish dude, blonde hair, blue eyes. Love the guy. But back in the day, he was a womanizer. And uh, he had 36 kids. Yes, you heard me right. 36 kids with 19 women. So the short little Irish dude loved tall black women. He, all of them were black. And it was just funny how this, this dude loved women. And he had kids with all these women. And my grandmother found out about all the other women, all the other women, because it was a one-night stand, all the other kids. And so she chose to be single. My grandfather was wealthy, and he raised all 35 out of the 36 kids. He paid for college. He bought homes, cars, took care of all of them, except for my dad. Because my grandmother said, we're not going to be part of a harem. We're just not going to do that. So my dad had this void, like probably most of the kids in the family did, because it's still one guy. And yet by the time he built a relationship with his dad that was strong enough, he'd already had me. 
So how is he supposed to be a good dad when all he has known is this void of a father? That his father lived in town, but he had no relationship with him. And some of us in the room deal with those issues. Those parent issues, these absent parent issues. Maybe a parent who passed away, or a parent just got divorced, or maybe you're in the middle of that and you're stressed about what's going to do to your kids. But let me tell you something, it's all about presence, not physical presence. It's about the presence you bring to your family. As I was doing research this week, not just about single moms, because I've done all that, or single dads, but about parents who are in the, in the home but are unavailable. And the stats for parents who live in the home but are unavailable are the exact same stats for parents who aren't even in the home. Think about that. Same stats for drug abuse, sexual misconduct, getting in trouble with the law. Because it's not about a physical presence. It's about the presence you bring to your home. And here we have a God who isn't going to bring a physical presence, but wants to be present with us, does not want to be absent. And do we allow God to be present with us? Because in Psalm 46 it says this, God is our refuge. It's not in your notes, write it down. Psalm 46, God is our refuge, our strength, and ever-present help in trouble. He is not absent. He's available. So it's a, it's a misconception. The second one is this, that God sets things into motion. It's right there in your notes. God sets things into motion, and then write this in parentheses, and the rest is up to me. How many of us have ever felt that way? That, man, God, okay, if I believe in this God thing, if I believe God really created the heavens and the earth, if I believe God really formed me in my mother's room, like it says in the Bible several times, yeah, he may have made me, but then he kind of left me up to my own devices. He set things into motion, and the rest is up to me, almost like a strict parent. Not that all strict parents are like this, but the parent that says, I've provided, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. I bought you the cleats. I bought you the helmet, I bought you your lacrosse stick and a thingy jiggy, and uh, however much that is, I've paid for all the resources, now I want you to go on the field and I want you to perform. I mean, how many times have I caught myself saying, listen, I pay for the food in this house, if you don't like what we're serving, you're not going to eat. There's nothing wrong with that. Right? But sometimes, as on the child perspective, it's, Sometimes we look at God as the parent who has said, I have provided, I made you, and now go perform for me. I mean, because if you really think about it, if God made the heavens and the earth, and then he made Adam and Eve, what kind of God would then tell the, his kids, don't eat from this tree? Does God not know that when you tell your kids not to do something, what's the first thing they do? The thing you told them not to do. He set them up to lose. There's no way... God is going to be strict about something God should have known better. I mean, it's like telling a little kid, here's a piece of cake, and you can't eat it. Just stare at it all day. This unfair view of God as a parent. It's God as a father. And the third misconception is this. God didn't set me up to win. I mean, if you know, again, my family of origin, if you know what we've been through, if you know the sickness, if you know our financial issues, if you know all these things, God did not set us up to win. He's not, he's, he's a stingy parent. The parent who's out, more out for themselves than they are their family and kids. 
The parent who's willing to go buy this and that for themselves, and then their kids are just kind of left to fend for themselves as long as they have food and shelter. You'll survive. I survived. Pay for your own college. Do your own thing. Listen, and we all have ways that we do our money. We all have ways that we do things. But how do the people in your home respond to the way you lead in your home? How do we respond when we feel like we don't have what we need? Do we hold these things against God as some sort of stingy father that he did not Set us up to win. Luke 15, um, is, is, there's this parable about um, the prodigal son. And I don't like that title because it's not really about one son. It's actually about two sons. And it's about a gracious father. And the father actually provides for both sons, but he provides very differently. With the first son, the first son comes up to him and says, Hey, Dad, I know you're wealthy. I want my inheritance up front. Imagine your kid coming to you and asking for their inheritance right now. Some of you are like, I don't have anything. There you go. Let me give you some advice. That's about as good as it gets. We're working towards that. And he goes away and he wastes all the money and he loses out on everything. And he comes back home and he asks for forgiveness. And he's back in the home and his dad gives him a robe and takes care of him. And now he's back in the house. And the older brother, who, he, who thought he was being faithful, real, doesn't realize that everything the dad owns actually belongs to him. So you have one dad who's provided for both of his kids, but in very different ways. How many times do we want God to provide in a way that he provided for somebody else? Maybe he wants to provide and do something in us and for us that is just about us. God has the gift of individualization. He He has this ability to see you for who you are, And to give you the gifts and the things that you need for you. He's not stingy. He's very grace-filled. So, what kind of parent is God? What what can we learn from Haggai through the whole book, and especially at the end, about God? What is God's role in this? What is it time for God to do? And God is the gracious parent. It's right there in your notes. The gracious parent. What is a gracious parent? A parent who wants relationships. A parent who wants relationship. And what does that mean that they want relationship? It means they want to be part of the good and they want to be part of the bad. I mean, I have a kid in my house. I love her. Her name's Ava. She is 12 years old. She, she has a really high pain tolerance. And so whenever she's sick or doesn't feel good, she never tells you. She's just very consistent. She's, she's smart. She's athletic. She can do just about anything. She wants to learn new things, try new things. Just She decided a month ago, I want to learn to play the piano. So we took her to her first piano lesson. What we didn't know is over the last month, she's watching YouTube videos on her piano, about piano. She went to her first piano lesson. The teacher was like, "Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to make this a lot harder for her. She's already advanced for where I thought she was. I'm like, she's advanced? I didn't know that she's watching YouTube videos every day and learned to play the piano on her own. She's just that kid. The problem with that kid is we don't know when she's hurting because she's so self-sufficient. So anytime she comes to my room and says, yeah, my arm's kind of hurting, we go to the emergency room. Because <laughs> by the time she's told us, it's probably been a month that her arm's been hurting, or her hand's hurting, or she doesn't feel good. So we go right to the doctor. We don't even wait, because she has this high pain tolerance, and now we're in emergency mode. 
And what I'd rather happen is that my daughter says, hey, I don't feel good. Don't you need to do anything? But I just want you to know that's part of relationship. God wants to have relationship with us. The joys, the memories, the ups, the downs. God also wants communication. Some of you should be making notes on this because this is good for real life. A gracious parent has relationship, communication. God wants to have communication. He just wants to talk some things out. People ask all the time about prayer. Gosh, gosh, I struggle with prayer. I don't know what prayer looks like. I don't know how to pray. I feel like I'm struggling in my prayer life, whatever that looks like. I felt that way before as a pastor. Ten years into being a pastor, I had to deconstruct my theology and how I approach prayer. Because I was approaching prayer like I'm trying to communicate to this ethereal being. And what am I doing? Like I'm praying like, I'm, like if other people can hear me instead of having a true and honest conversation with the God who created me. And if King David, who was a shepherd before that, can have psalms where he says, God, where are you? And I don't know that you're for me. How much more can I have that communication with the one who created me? It just takes communication. The other night, it was 1230 at night, my son texts me. He was actually at home, which is great. And he said, Dad, stop doing that. And my first thought was, is he sleep texting? You know, 17-year-old kid. And uh, he kept texting me, stop, Dad, stop, I'm getting mad. Dad, don't, don't make me go up there. And it hits me. He's downstairs by himself. The rest of us are upstairs. And, you know, at night, in the day it's hot. At night we open up the windows to cool down the house, and his door's not latching. So the wind's going through and opening his door and flinging it open and shutting it, and he thinks it's me downstairs trying to scare him which is super awesome, because I wouldn't have thought of that. Right? But you want to know why he's scared? Because when he was six years old, or he was about seven years old, I had him take out the trash, and I hid behind the house. <laughs> I've ruined him for life. Yeah, I ended up just that parent. So now anytime he's scared, he's like, Dad? Dad? Because it has to be me, right? And I, my head, I laughed in my room, because I thought, even if it was me, you're too chicken to leave your room right now. You're texting me. You're not talking to me. And it's a funny story, but how many times do we have an ability to have a face-to-face -face conversation with God and we put other obstacles in between us and God? And God's like, what are, why are you texting me? Why are you telling all your friends to pray for you when you haven't prayed for yourself? It's crazy, isn't it? But that's how dumb we are sometimes as humans. We want, we want to let everybody know we need prayer. And God's like, wait a minute. I'd like to hear from you because he wants relationship, communication. He wants trust. He wants to extend trust. And he wants you to trust him. He has a hope for a future. A hope for a future. I mean, how many of you are going to pay thousands of dollars or are paying thousands of dollars or have a pain and are recovering trying to pay for your kids to go to college and then they graduate and nobody stands up at a graduation party with that glass of wine in their hand and does a toast that says, so proud of you, your best days were behind you. Nobody. Because a true parent, grandparent, family member, aunt, uncle, friend says, our best days are ahead. There's a hope for a future. And then he has grace for a better outcome next time. I'm a pretty driven person and pretty driven leader. And over the last few, about seven years, I've had to retool my drive because I've learned is my drive sometimes can hurt people. And I drive over people. And as my kids were getting older, I realized I'm driving over my kid and I'm asking why aren't they doing what they need to do is because I'm the one in control all the time. 
And I've had to retool my parenting. And I, what I realize about this piece, about walking in grace, is I want my kids to learn from their mistakes. But if I'm too busy telling them why they were wrong, they don't have the time to actually learn for themselves the mistake they made. So now what I do is I sit down with them. Hey, Dad, I know that was wrong. Okay, if you can explain to me why that was wrong and what, how you'll never be in this situation again, conversation over. And my kids are like, oh, as long as I don't repeat that mistake, we're good, right? Yeah. Now, do I want to do that in my flesh? No. I want to yell at them. I want to control their lives. I want to take away the car, and I want to do this, and I want to do that. But guess what? Who has to manage all that? Me. Instead, I'm learning as a parent just to be grace-filled as God is graceful with me. And the last thing is God's love. I know that's hard for some of us, but God truly is love. And it's expressed differently for different people. Because God has this gift of individualization. He's this gracious parent. So, in Haggai, how is this demonstrated for us? This graciousness of God the Father. The first three we've already talked about in the, in the last few weeks. And if you weren't here for week one and week two, I just challenge you. Go online and watch it. You, you will not be sorry that you did. But the first one was God brings correction. Teaching us how to, what to stop, say no to, and what do we rethink. So what should I stop doing? What do I say no to? What can I rethink? The second thing is, God gives room for action. God gives room for action. He says, I need you to do this, and so I'm going to give you room to accomplish it. So those questions are this. What is my next step in my personal life? And then what is my next step in my spiritual life? You know, over the next few weeks, we're going to be starting new growth groups, and there's going to be Bible studies that launch, and a men's group, and a couple's group. You would be remiss to miss out on these opportunities just for your next step here at Timberlake in your personal growth. What is your next step? The third thing, Pastor Ben talked about this last week, the promise of presence. That God said, when you take action, I want you to know. In Haggai chapter 2, I think it's verse 5, he says this, I'm going to be with you. That promise of presence removes fear. It removes fear. And the question there is, what would I do if I weren't afraid? Because if God's love is perfect, and perfect love drives out fear, what would my life look like if I weren't living in fear? What would it look like for me to sell the home that I actually can't truly afford and downsize? What, would, what if I weren't afraid of what my friends thought? What if I weren't afraid of other people or myself? What if God uprooted that fear and I was able to walk some things out? What are some of the things that we would do? The next two we're going to talk about because it's in chapter 2 of Haggai. It's this reflection of chapter 2. And the fourth thing is blessing. Right there in your notes is blessing. And, and, and I want you to know that some of us struggle with that word blessing. And I've talked to some people after services who struggle with that word blessing. And let me tell you why we struggle. Because in our modern context, unfortunately, and maybe if you've watched Christian television or you've been the, around churches for a while, we misconstrue this word blessed. And blessing, because we have this natural equation that pops up in our mind. Because we see blessing, then we see an equal sign, and we see stuff. Blessing equals stuff. We may not believe that, 
But it's part of our psyche and it's part of our Christian culture that if you're blessed, you have stuff. Well, I know a lot of people who have a lot of stuff who aren't very blessed. I know people who have very little stuff who are blessed. Why? What is God saying in Haggai chapter 2 when he's talking about blessed? Verse 19, he says, from this day on, I will be with you. It's not in your notes. Write that down. Verse 19. From this day on, I will be with you. What's he saying? Blessing is not stuff. Blessing is that God is with us. Blessing is that God is with us. If you've ever had a kid in elementary school, or maybe you have a kid currently in elementary school, maybe you're about to have kids in elementary school, you can learn from this. I remember as a kid, my dad was a great dad, but he was a very busy man. And I remember we'd have those, those days at school where parents were invited, and he hard, hard, would hardly ever come, and he was traveling all over the world. And as an adult now, I have grace, and I understand why that was. But I remember as a kid, he would, he would send me this really cool, like, fancy meal for lunch, or he would buy me a gift. And, and most kids are like, oh, your dad's awesome. He would buy you that. But I remember as a kid just thinking, yeah, but I just wanted my dad. Now, did I open the gift? You bet I did. Did I eat the meal? You bet I did. But as a kid, I just wanted my dad. And as sons and daughters, I know we ask for stuff, and I know we want to be healthy and not sick, and we know, I know we want our marriage to be healed, but at the core of who we are as sons and daughters, we're people who want to be blessed, which means we just want to know that God is with me. And that he is for me. I had a lot of conversations since moving here to the Northwest. A lot of families and a lot of pressure from kids. And a lot of us live pressured and pressurized jobs. And what is that doing to our children? It's a normal conversation. And I want you to know if you're dealing with that with your family, there are a lot of families in our church trying to navigate the same pressures. And talking to one family, they, this one female in our church, she has a friend, and her friend confronted her and said, hey, I know that you and your husband are very successful, and I know your son's pretty smart, but you're putting so much pressure on your kid, and what you're doing subconsciously is you're telling your kid, if you don't perform, then lack of relationship with me is punitive for not performing well. And as she was telling me this, I wondered, how how many of us feel that way about God? If we don't perform well, is this lack of presence, this punitive, this punishment for not doing things right. And it skews the way we see God. And it skews the way we lead our families or lead at work. And to be blessed is not to have stuff. It's just to be with your dad. And verse 19 says, God says, from this day on, I brought correction. We have action. We're going to move forward from this day on. You'll be blessed because I am with you. Yeah. Blessing. The fifth and last thing is this. He says, here's what I will do. Here's what I will do. And, and I want you to write this down. It's kind of, it's a sentence I, I've been, I was praying for our church and I wrote this down and it says, once we leave the safety of an idea, which is what Ben was talking about last week, right? From an idea to action. Once we leave the safety of an idea, God's natural response is to partner with us in the action. God doesn't want to partner in the idea. He wants to partner in the action. 
So as most of you know, if you've been around a few weeks, my family and I just recently moved up in the last few months and been sharing funny stories about what that looks like and interacting with people in the Northwest. And we, we're actually loving it. We, we, we really are. And then my, my daughter, who's 14, who's very popular at school, had a ton of friends. And as we're thinking about the move and being obedient, we said, God, we want you to help our kids connect. And so far, it's been great. And Bella was on her last flight. She's my oldest daughter. And she's 14. And she was on her last flight because we flew up separate. She's with my son, and she's in Santa Barbara, California. She's you know, on the layover. And while she's in the layover, she gets a text from a friend she hasn't seen for a few years. So Bella's in high school. She hasn't seen his friend since junior high. And her friend says, hey, Bella, I haven't talked to you in a while, but um, I was at this church this morning, and I swore your dad was on stage. And my daughter says, where are you? She goes, oh, well, I moved to Europe with my family, and, uh, and, and then I'm, I just recently moved with my dad to Seattle. And we're at Timberlake Church. And my daughter's just getting so excited. And as a parent, they're like, I could not have scripted that. And she says, really? She goes, yes. She goes, what high school are you going to? And get this. This friend she hasn't seen in a few years that moved to Europe is now here is going to church at Timberlake. Her name is Aziza. She's awesome. And they're going to be at the same grade at the same high school, and they live down the road from us. I could not have planned that. And my daughter has this view that God cares about some things that maybe nobody else would care about. And I know some of us in the room, especially the mathematicians, are like, oh my gosh, it was just a coincidence. Well, you know what? If you thought that, I'm, I'm giving you permission to email me this week because I want you to do the math and the probability of that happening. <laughs> of a person going to junior high, moving to Sweden, so put that in your probability. Yeah, I want all of it. If you're going to run the math, do it right, right? Move from Dallas to Sweden to then move to Seattle to go to this particular church, to go to that particular city and that particular high school to be with my daughter moving at the exact same time. None of us could have scripted that. And my daughter has this view that her father, God, cares about details. That God is with her. What can he do and will he do? If you look at your notes, we, we did a little cheat sheet on the back, a little cheat section. Because if we taught all 17 verses of the last chapter, of, last part of chapter 2, we'd be here for a few weeks and I'd be here by myself talking. And so what we did, we did a little cheat sheet of the things that God said he would do in those 17 verses. And they're all right there. It says, I will be with you. I will shake things up. I will fill the temple that you're going to build. I will grant peace. I will bless you, which we've already talked about. I will overturn things. I will overthrow things that shouldn't be overthrown. I will take you. I will make you. Those are all things that God said he would do. All those things that God said he would do. All if his people would just line up to God's will and he'll take it from there. How many times do we want God to do his part before we ever do ours? And that's the challenge. About 75 to 100 years before Haggai, God wrote, God spoke to Jeremiah, another prophet. And we're going to read that together. It's right there in your notes. We're going to read this section. And here's what's funny about the people of Israel, God's people. They're just like us. They're hard-headed. They're hard-headed. So God has to say the same thing over and over to different generations at different times. And God's the one who's being consistent, and we are the inconsistent ones. Here's what he says to Jeremiah, 75 to 100 years before this. 
This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So, this is being Jeremiah. I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So, the potter formed it into another pot. What he was forming was marred. It wasn't taking shape. So the potter had to break it down and then reshape it. Because he had an image. He had a mental image of what he wanted for the pot. So he formed it into another pot. Shaping it as he as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is Jeremiah. And he said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. Haggai was written also that God's sons and daughters could be realigned. And the last two things on that list, he says, I will then take you. I will own you, not as a slave owner, but I will own you as a father so that I can mold you and make you. But God can't make us into something if we're out of proximity for him to actually take us in. And that's the challenge, sons and daughters. The challenge is how many things do we put between us and God where God's like, I want to take your life. I want to take your family, your children, your granddaughter, your grandsons, your relationship, your marriage, your roommate, your future. I want to take all that in. Be on the potter's wheel. Let me shake it. Let me take things out that don't need to be there. I know it's uncomfortable. I know it doesn't feel good. I know it doesn't make sense to the rest of the world. But if you'll just let me stay on the potter's wheel, let me form and shape it, I'll go from taking you to making you. And all that comes from relationship. Haggai is about relationship. The correction, the action, the blessing, the promise of God's presence and the promise that God will take what is current and turn it into something that's for the future. God is in the long-term play game. Will you pray with me? God, we say this all the time, but thank you for your goodness even when we're not good. And thank you for your faithfulness when we are unfaithful. Maybe you're in the room, or maybe you're watching online and say, Pastor Cross, if what you're saying is so true that there's this journey that God wants me on, that there's, I'm not striving for perfection, I'm striving for this relationship, the good and the bad of it, the questions, the doubts, the fears, then maybe it's time for me to take my first step into a relationship with God. And whether you're watching online or in the room right now, if that's you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you do me the honor of just making eye contact with you? Will you just look up at me if you're saying, I want to take my first step. Yeah, and knowing Jesus. I want to take my first step, and I'm going to trust that Timberlake Church is going to help me grow in my faith. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for those who are making that commitment for the first time. And I ask, God, that you give us strength at Timberlake Church to come alongside everybody who are on their faith journey, especially those who are making that decision today that they would join a growth group, that they would take their next steps, that they would walk in baptism. Whatever is their next right step, help us to be available for them to grow in their faith. And for the rest of us in the room, God, we just want to be clay. We just want to be in your hands, moldable, malleable, shapeable. Help us to not get off the wheel when it gets uncomfortable. 
and become hard, but to stay soft and that you would form us and you would take us and you would make us into your image. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.